All right, um, I want to just continue in this theme this morning, just a, just, a, just a real faith in the Lord to continue to demonstrate his goodness toward us, and, and just that confidence in him that, uh, that he's going to continue his work, and, and just like Psalm 23 says, is that, uh, just that statement of faith, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, that, it, that his staff comforts me, that, uh, that, that he's with me, that he leads me beside quiet waters, and and all of that into green pastures, just the Lord's goodness over us and his ability to do in us what he desires. And um, let's just pray for a moment here and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you, Father. We, we just have example over example in your scriptures about your goodness and your intention for us as your children, um, that you desire good for us. And, and not only do you desire good for us, it's not like sometimes we are with our kids that we want something good to happen but don't have the power to, to make it happen. Um, you, on the other hand, Lord God, you have the ability uh, to do all that you desire in us. You, you have the ability to bring about good things in our life and, and good things in our souls and our hearts and in our minds. And Lord, we just trust you. We believe that, that your, um, the work of your redemption that you started, um, well, I guess really before the world be- began, but really ultimately in Jesus Christ and, and his sacrifice on the cross for us, that, that you're going to continue to do your work. Um, to restore all that was lost at, at the fall in us, um, that you truly, whenever you say you're going to write your laws on our hearts and in our minds, you really meant that, that you're going to be changing us from the inside out. And, Lord, we just thank you for that. We just trust you with that work too. Uh, Lord, even though it's painfully slow, we trust you with that work. And we know, Lord God, that, that you are bringing about change and growth in our lives, Lord God, and we're just so grateful for it. So grateful for the evidence of the work that we see around us. So grateful to see our kids growing in, in knowledge and understanding of your salvation. So grateful, Lord, to see uh, people here that are deepening in their faith, that are maturing in their walk with you, God. People who are growing in their, in their submission to you, Lord God, and your lordship over them. And uh, Lord, we just thank you. I just praise you for that. Uh, it's in Jesus' great name that we pray. Amen. I wanted to ask just the first thing this morning. Have you ever gotten just really sick and tired of yourself, anybody? Um, yeah, I, it happens to me every few minutes generally, but n- no. But really, some real severe times there, that you just get really frustrated with yourself and just thinking, why can't I be different? Why can't I change? I don't want to be who I am. I'm tired of who I am, and I want to be something more than what I am, and I want to I grow, and I want the Lord to grow me. Um, and let me just tell you, just, just real quickly, um, we have some real challenges to that. In, in some ways, you might say the deck is kind of stacked against us um, because the things that we need to change about ourselves, sometimes we can't see. Sometimes we're very blind to those things. And you guys know these scriptures are going to be very, very familiar to you. But in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, Jeremiah the prophet wrote, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So he's talking about your own, the things that drive you, your own desires, your thoughts, those, those deep places that, you know, we rarely actually tend to go very, very rarely. He says that, it, that's so, it, that part of us has been so warped by sin that it's sick and deceitful, and we can't really know ourselves well enough to even change ourselves. You, in other words, you can't fix a problem that you can't see. You know, um, I, 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 any of you who are very mechanically minded, you're not very much like me. If, you know, when, you have a, when I have a problem with my car, my thought is not about trying to diagnose it and fix it. My thought is about, well, I better take it to a mechanic, right? Because I don't know how to fix it. Well, it's like that in my own life where I know that I have problems. I know that I've, I have problems with certain things. I know, you know, have you ever been talking sometime and something comes out of your mouth that even you didn't expect? 
right? Something comes out of in anger or, or in frustration or in jealousy or something. Something slips out of your mouth and you think, well, where did that come from? Well, I've walked with myself now for about 41 years and uh, I've, I've tended to learn to be a little suspicious of myself uh, to know that, you know, those words didn't come from nowhere. That came from some place that, some, some, some place that I'm not really even conscious of, uh, but where I have some issues of, uh, of anger or frustration or, or jealousy or whatever it is. Um, so our hearts are deceitful, and really you can't really, we can't really know our own desires on our own. We can't really know what really drives us on our own because our hearts are deceitful. But it's not just that, it's also our sin. In Hebrews chapter 3, we just read that this this week, but in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13, um, he's talking about the importance of, as a body, body of believers to come together and encourage each other to keep on in the faith. And one of the things he says, though, in the midst of that conversation, he says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin is deceitful. Our hearts are deceitful. Um, let me tell you, um, I'm going to read a quick story with you in 2 Samuel. If you have your Bibles with you, 2 Samuel chapter 12, we're going to blow through this really quickly because this isn't the, really the, the text that I have for today. But um, David committed a really big couple of sins. Does anyone remember what they were? Adultery and really conspired for murder, right? Um, and, and, and set up for a murder. All right, those are pretty big things. Okay. So a guy commits adultery and murder, and he's called one of God's, you know, a man after God's own heart. And you would think that that guy would be pretty sensitive to what he's just done, right? Okay. He, uh, sorry, Second Samuel chapter 12. We're just going to read verses 1 through 10 there. The Lord sent Nathan to David. Now, Nathan was a prophet, and he was there really to help... Um, Help, um, help guide the nation, but also was, a, was a, a, um, a prophet really personally to the king. It's kind of a beautiful thing to see and a lot like our relationships should be with each other. Uh, but anyway, when he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food and drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. All right, so what's the story? There is a rich man and there was a poor man and the rich man does what? Steals the ewe lamb, the, the beloved ewe lamb uh, from the poor man, even though he had flocks, even though he was rich, even though he had all of this stuff and he stole it. Okay, now Nathan, of course, here is telling a little allegory, a story about trying to tell David about what he's done. He's confronting David about his sin, which, by the way, we need to be confronted about our sin, don't we? Um, he needed to be confronted about his sin. So here comes Nathan to talk. To him, and look, look at the. This is just astonishing to me. But listen, what it says: David burned with anger against the man, and said to Nathan, "As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity." Let the, look at the righteous indignation that David has against this man. And then these four little words here. Then Nathan said to David, "You are the man." This is what the Lord 
the God of Israel says, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all that had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your own house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. The astonishing part of the story is not the fact that David had sinned, not the fact that Nathan had, the prophet had come to him, but the fact that when he was confronted about it, David didn't have a clue about what Nathan was talking about. Why? Because sin is deceitful. <laughs> sin is deceitful. David had walked in all this, and I guarantee you somehow along the way, he had justified in his mind what he had done. Right? And so when he had, was approached by it and confronted by it about the truth about what he had done, he couldn't see it. Someone else had to step in and speak on behalf of the Lord to give him the word of the Lord and to tell him, you are the man. You are the murderer. You are the thief, David. You're the man. You're the one. Can I tell you this about sin? Is it is deceitful. And, of course, you guys know, and I know, you know people who have walked off into life-altering sin. And it becomes one small thing after another, but pretty soon it can end up in some really life-changing, really life-altering kind of sin, like sexual promiscuity or any sexual immorality. Adultery, like drug abuse and alcohol abuse, it starts very small, but there's a blindness to it, right? And, and the very first thing that we've got to do is recognize that we have a problem. But listen, the scary thing is the deck's kind of stacked against us here, sin will deceive you. That's one of the reasons why the writer of Hebrews says is that we got to watch out for each other. we got to be like Nathan was for each other, and we got to point out for each other, not that we point out every detail, not like we go and pinpoint every single sin that every single one of us has, because if you spend any time with me, you're going to pick up on the sin that is in my life. If I spend any time with you, I'm going to pick up on the sin that is in your life, right? And we can't nitpick each other to death, but if you see me headed off a cliff, Someone please say something. If you see me walking into some life-altering sin, someone step up and say, David, you don't need to go there. You, you, you don't see what's headed around the corner, but, but what's in danger here is your soul, and you need to turn around right where you are, and you need to go the other direction. But here's the thing, is, and, and this is what I really want to encourage you about. Your sin blinds you, and you can't see it. You know why everyone else's sin bothers you? And yours doesn't is because you can't see your own, right? We're so bad at seeing our own sin. And, and the reason is it's just a deceitful thing. It's just the way it is. And our hearts are deceived also and deceitful and very difficult to, to know. So here's the question is, how in the world can I fix something that I can't see? How in the world can I work on some problem that I can't even, not, maybe not even aware of? Listen, I'm going to tell you this morning, I'm going to go into some great detail here now, here in just a moment, but the only hope that you and I have is to be challenged by the Word of God, to be challenged by it, to be reading in it, to be confronted by it, so that we have any hope of seeing what's wrong in our souls that we need the Lord to work on. Yeah? Okay. All right, so let's get started. Um, um, how can we change? In Hebrews chapter 4, we just read this also. Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to be flipping around just a little bit this morning. Hebrews chapter 4, please. You need to see this if you don't remember it. Hebrews chapter 4, about the Word of God. 
This is a, and such a strange little paragraph here. It, it's just kind of in the middle of all this part about the Sabbath rest and Jesus the high priest, and you have this little part about, just powerful part about the Word of God and its power. But anyway, um, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, listen to what it says about this, the Word of God. It says, the Word of God is living and active. This is unlike any other text, any other book in all of the world. There's nothing else like it because... Through it, it actually spells out and says, I mean, you'll see quotes sometimes, it says, this is the word of the Lord. And it just quotes God. This is what he said, word for word. This is what he said. But this is a revelation for us. And, and it is uh, by the word of God, we know that we have truth and we have some light in it. By it, we can really truly begin to see. But anyway, it describes the word of God as being living and active, unlike any other book. It is sharper. This is the part we don't really like about it. But it is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Let me pause there for just a minute. This is talking about the Word of God in you and in me. This is not just the Word of God sitting on my my end table or sitting on my, my, my bedstand. The Word of God in you becomes like a surgeon's tool to identify and to separate good from bad in our hearts and our souls and in deep places that we're not even really conscious of ourselves because of the deceitfulness of our heart. But the Word of God has the ability to discern inside very deeply and penetrate our hearts, our motives, and our souls. We're deceived by it, but the Word of God is not deceived by the gray areas in our lives, the areas that we give ourselves a pass on where we really are committing sin, but areas that, that it is not deceived. The, the Word of God is not deceived by those things. It has a discerning part. But the other part about it is it's not just it's, it's penetrating work and it's judging work, but it's sharpness. Here's the part that we really don't like about the Word of God, but it is, in the hands of the Holy Spirit, it is like a surgeon's scalpel to go in and to remove the diseased parts of our souls, the diseased parts of our hearts, the diseased parts of our mind, and to bring healing by removing those things. And it identifies and it judges what's good and what's bad and what's right and what's wrong. And it starts to remove and to work on those areas of my mind and my heart and my soul that need to be transformed, that need to be changed. Amen? This is the truth. Okay, and in the last part of verse, thir- thir- verse 13, I'm sorry. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of whom to whom we give must give an account. Nothing is laid bare before the word of God. And this is where, why does the word of God have power? Well, because God has power. And his words have power in our lives because of the one by whom they were spoken. Amen? Okay, um, but this is kind of a terrifying thought. I, just imagine for a moment, if, if you and I were not a believer and we had to stand before the judgment throne of God one day and he would call us up and God knowing every wrong motive, every impure thought, every wrong decision we'd ever made, every bad behavior, every time we knew we should have done something and we didn't, what if that, and, and God can keep up with all of those things. What if we stood before him because he can know every one of those and actually he knows them better than we do, sins that we may not even be conscious of, and he began, he could, he could set, so you could stand there before him and he could say, well, there's this and then there's this and then there's this, and then there's this. Things that you would be embarrassed and humiliated about for anyone to know, much less your maker and your creator. But that is um, what's in store for some folks. 
true. This is what is in store for people who cannot plead the blood of Jesus because of the faith that they come in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is their fate to stand before God, and he will judge them for all of their evil, all of their actions, all of their, their thoughts, all of their bad motives. They, they, they will be judged. For you and I, however, it won't be like that, thank God. But it's a terrifying thing to think about just to be undone, like you're being unclothed before God and everyone, to just be laid that far bare for someone to know every secret thought, everything you've did that you're humiliated about, everything that you do that you, you hope no one else finds out because you don't, wanna, want, don't want them to, to tarnish the way that they think about you. All of those things could be known by God. It's a really, it is a terrifying thing. Um, Soren Kierkegaard um, wrote about this a little bit. He wrote about the importance of, of, of having an inward deepening in your life, and he talked about it really in one of his essays um, uh, called Self-Examination, um, where he talked about the importance of, of having the Word of God in you. But one of the things that he talks about is that how hard it is to get into the Word of God. And let me just ask you before I read this, has anyone ever had any trouble getting in the Bible regularly, consistently? Really? Wow, something wrong with y'all. Not really. This is all of us, and this is some of the, the stuff from uh, Soren Kierkegaard. He wrote this. He said, I've never seen anyone of whom I dared to believe that he had the honesty and the courage to be alone with God's Word. <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? I've never met anyone with the courage or the honesty to be alone with God's Word. Interesting, isn't it? Does it take courage to be in the Bible? Does it take honesty to be in the Scriptures? I'll read you another one. Next, please. It is human for a person to shrink from letting the word really gain power over him. If no one else will admit it, I admit that I do. So the first thing you know, what he's saying here is, is that uh, because I lack courage and because I lack honesty, it's hard for me to be in the word of God because I'm afraid of what it's going to say about me. Right? The second thing he says, though, is that uh, he said, um, if no one else will admit it, I admit it, that I, I don't want the Word of God to gain power of, over me. And what he's talking about here is that inward sin or that, that remaining sin of rebellion that's at work within us that always has, that we are born with a natural bent to go away from God. And what, that's what he's talking about here is sometimes we don't, we're not in the Scripture because we don't want it the honest truth about who we are. Sometimes, though, we're not in the Scripture because we don't want to submit, to, honestly, we don't want to submit to God. We don't want to read about the things that we should be doing that we're not or read about the things that we ought to be doing that we shouldn't. I said that backwards, but you know what I mean, right? Okay. Let me, uh, let me give you a little theology from uh, Beauty and the Beast. Okay, you remember Beauty and the Beast? You remember Belle, right? Belle walks in, she gets lost in the woods. You remember this part of the story. Her dad's sick, lost there, and, and they get drugged to the castle or something, and they show up there. And you remember the part where she's sneaking through the castle before she's seen the beast, and she's going through the castle. What does she notice about the mirrors in the house? What does she notice about all the mirrors in the castle? They're broken. Everyone's broken out. Why are they all broken out? The bee, the man who used to be, who was the beast who was once a man has now turned into a beast and he doesn't want to see himself in the mirrors and so he breaks them all out. Interesting, isn't it? Is this true of you and me? Are we afraid to see who we really are and so we're really afraid to get a little too close to the scriptures? Are we afraid of that double-edged sword, that penetrating, judging work of the Scriptures so that we're, we're just enough afraid of it that, you know, I'll say that this is the Word of God and I'll say I really admire this book, I really respect this book, 
but I'm afraid to be alone with it. It's interesting, too, and just to carry it on a little bit further, there is one mirror in the palace that's in the castle that's not broken, isn't it? What does it do for him? He says, show me this, and it shows him what he wants to see. Interesting, isn't it? All right. We're kind of the same way, I, I think, I'm afraid. Do you have, do you feel, do you feel a, um, a reluctance to be in the Word? I, 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 I'll just tell you that I've struggled with it, too, and and I think this is part of our human nature because we have a natural bent away from God. We have a natural bent to feel self-righteous. And so we don't want the Word of God reading us. And, but we also don't want, we're rebellious enough against the God and there's enough of this remaining sin that in pushing away God, we push away His Word because we don't want it to gain authority or power over us. Are you reluctant to be in the Word of God and you don't know why? I think it's for some very deep reasons, some very deep-seated sin that exists in every one of us that we have to help, have the Lord's help to master, all right? Okay, let's continue. Um, here's what, if you read, turn over just one book in Hebrews, I'm sorry, from, uh, from uh, Hebrews over to James. This is what James says about the Word. We just read that, it, that the Word of God is living and active, it's discerning, it's judging, um, and able to discern. In James chapter 1, James is talking a lot, a lot about, you know, James is real famous for saying what, that show me your, your faith without deeds and I'll show you my deeds with faith. And, and he talks about just really um, actively living out the word or living out your faith. But anyway, he talks about the danger of, of uh, listening to the word of God but not applying it, not taking it in, not doing what it says. So in James chapter 1, we're going to read verses uh, 22 through 25. It says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Okay, so let me pause there for just a minute. So what James is saying is we can hear the word of God and yet still be deceived. How can that be? Well, we've got a great example in the New Testament, don't we? The Pharisees knew the Word of God. Listen, better than any of us ever will, right? I mean, they devoted themselves to, to memorizing entire books and of, the, of the Old Testament. They, they knew the, the, the Scriptures very well. But what did Jesus say about them? But you don't know God. They had heard the Word of God, but they had never learned to put it into practice. They had never learned to use it to apply to themselves. They only used it to apply, especially, they're really good at applying it to other people. They were lousy at applying it to themselves, and so they missed the truth of the Scriptures all throughout, and it was a really, really tragic thing, but we're all capable of it. Do not merely listen to the Word of God and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Verse 23, anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. This is the, the great thing about the Word of God. Is it is like that mirror. It is like a mirror that if you really want to know yourself, if you really want to know what you look like, ladies, what do you do in the mornings when you're applying your makeup? Uh, do you, do, you know, I know my wife and, and my girls, they look in a mirror. They don't just apply makeup blindly, right? It's kind of difficult to do, I guess. Uh, but then uh, same for me, you know, I shave and I got to check with, you know, got to look through with the mirror, make sure I got it all, right? You know, make sure I got all the... the stubble that really you can hardly see. But anyway, that's another story. Um, 
But the, the, the truth is, is that the Bible can be a mirror for us and really can help us see who we are. But let me, let me tell you just a few things. This is from Soren Kierkegaard's essay, um, um, Self-Examination. He says that there's three kind of pitfalls that we can fall in. He says, first, the first thing that we can do to just avoid the, the challenge being confronted by the truth of the Scriptures, the first thing that we can do is we can get all caught up in observing the mirror. Okay. In other words, what he's saying is that you can get a good look at, oh, the mirror is so nice, oh, it's so pretty. Well, look how clear a reflection and not really look at ourselves in the mirror. Right? And he, he uses this to say people who get really caught up in the academics of the Scripture can completely miss out on the intent of the Scripture. And in a desire to really kind of avoid this conflict between the truth and how I'm living or how I'm thinking or what sin I'm walking in that I don't want to give up on, um, the, 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 the truth between those things, what I'll do to avoid it is I'll make reading the Scripture solely an academic affair. There's danger in that, obviously. The Pharisees walked in this every single day, and there's a little Pharisaical part of our hearts that would do the same. You've got to make sure when you're having your quiet time and you're alone with the Word, this is not just academia time. This is time for the Lord to begin to restore some of the brokenness in you, some of the fallenness of your heart, so to be able to transform your mind. This is time for there's some, some, some restoration of what was lost in you at the fall. Okay, It is profound. And I tell you what, um, it, if you didn't get me a birthday present, here's what I'd like. All right, I, My birthday was just last week. Here's what I'd like. Have quiet time. Uh, that's what I want to ask you. It, it, will, it will do for your soul what years of my preaching will never be able to do. I, I can't do it for you. This is your time. You have to get along with the Word of God. You have to look at it like a mirror. You have to let it speak to you. It is truly, you've got to look at it kind of two ways. This really is all about God and specifically all about the revelation of salvation that came through Jesus Christ. But when you read it, you also have to look with another lens to see, and where am I here? And that's the second important part of reading the scripture is that this is not just academic. You can't just be looking at the mirror. You must see yourself in the mirror. The second thing is you've got to recognize yourself in the mirror. All right, when you're looking in the mirror, you're not just like looking over your shoulder at whatever is behind you in your bathroom. You've got to be looking at the mirror and looking at yourself, right? Okay, the same is true in the word of God. Whenever you're reading the word of God, and you guys have heard me preach this very recently, but like, for example, the story of the Good Samaritan. Right? A couple of guys go past the, the, um, the guy, the, the traveler, as he's been beat up and left there in the ditch. Right? A couple of guys go past there, right? the, the Levite and the priest. They walk by him because they're too busy, too important to stop. When you and I read stories like that, and we read, then we read the story of the Good Samaritan who did come and he bound up the guy's wounds and he did all those things for us, we want to be on the good side. Right? We want to be the Good Samaritan, but the truth is, is that we've all acted like the priest and the Levite at times. Right? So when you read the story and you have Jesus Christ revealed or God revealed, and then you have sinners revealed, whom should you and I connect with? It's the sinner. So whenever you read those kind of stories, we need to be able to read it with the courage to read it like this, Lord, how have I been like the Levite? Lord, how have I been like the priest who have been so caught up in my own thing that I haven't seen my brother who's suffering? How is it that I haven't made time for those who are suffering? Teach me, tell me. And so that when you read the scripture, you begin to see and you begin to ask yourself or tell yourself, that is me. That is me in some way. Somehow I've been like the priest. Somehow I've been like the Levite. And if you'll actually have the courage to go there, to look there in the mirror and say, Lord, show me how I'm like this, there can be a real hope for change in your life because the Lord can then finally begin to start working on that place in your life. Amen.
That's, let me, so that's the first thing. The first thing is that you've got to look, see yourself in the mirror. The second thing is you've got to recognize yourself in the mirror. And the third thing is you can't forget how you looked. Okay, after years of reading the scriptures, I've become very suspect of me. You know, I've become very suspect of my intentions and my motives, and for good reason, <laughs> right? Sin has warped us all to the core. But I, I want to say that, and, and with this same thing, is that, but what it's done for me, though, is that I've lost confidence in myself, but I've gained incredible confidence in the Lord that he's going to grow me and mature me, and he is going to use his word in me to penetrate into those deep, dark places that I don't like to even go, and he does his surgery on me, and he begins to remove those parts of me that are sick and dying and need to be restored, and he does a restorating work in my life. And so I see sometimes when something good does happen, when I'm actually following through with the Lord, inconsistent as it might be, what can I say but... Praise you, Lord, that was all you. But he does it. He does it over and over again, and it shocks me almost every time. But, it, but the, listen, we were talking in the very beginning about believing in the Lord's goodness. He is able to help us. Amen? And one of the primary means that he gives us, one of the resources, one of the tools he gives us for change is this word of God. And you and I have to be in it. Please, for my birthday, all I want is for you to have your quiet time every day. Just be in the Word. Just be in prayer. Just take time to meditate on His Word and listen for what the Lord would teach you and tell you about. Listen for the Holy Spirit's guidance about what He's trying to show you in the Word of God. And listen, I, I want to I I remind you, this has been kind of difficult this morning, I know, but because ultimately my faith is only encouraged by all this because I know that all the goodness that the Lord has done in me has been all of His work, and He's not done yet. He's still doing his work in me. He's still growing me up, and, and, and he's still working in me about bringing in his goodness and removing my sin and revealing my sin so that he can work with it and deal with it on my behalf and on your behalf too. I have great confidence in the Lord that he's continuing to bring about, to, continuing to, to restore all those things that were, fall, that were broken in the fall. All the wrong thinking that I have, the wrong attitudes that I have, the wrong motives I have, the wrongness the, uh, that I have in my soul, the wrong desires that I ha- have, he is slowly, one at a time, he's working through them like, like, with, like a skilled surgeon, working through and delivering those parts of my soul and bringing about restoration and health in my life. Amen? And he'll, he does it for you too. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right. All right. Let's, uh, we need to, I've got a uh, little quick thing. Let's see. First off, let's see, let me have uh, Karen and Maddie. Would y'all want to come up right now? And then also, and I, Linda Bethea is right there behind Tim. I can't see her when I'm on the stage here, but Linda Bethea also with us this morning. She, they've been gone for, has it been about a year? Is that right? Or almost a year, I guess, maybe. Uh, anyway, Linda's back with us from, uh, they live in Weatherford and uh, back visiting with us this morning. So anyway, Linda, it's great to see you this morning. Glad to have you here. Yeah, yeah, come on, yeah, this Karen too, and Karen here, yeah, there's two Karens, Karen Moore, yes, no, and I know everyone's going to want to see you too here, Karen, and this Karen and Maddie also want to come, uh, Karen caught me and wanted to, to uh, move their membership here to Calvary, so um, anyway, they have uh, been here, oh my goodness, how long has it, has it been, like three years or something, about three years that they've been here in our church body, and uh, they're just a fixture here, so anyway, probably all some, probably all some of you are surprised that they're not members, but anyway, they'd like to come and move their membership to our church body this morning. So let me ask you this. Um, if you would accept uh, Karen and Maddie as your brothers and sisters, if you would do what we just read about in Hebrews to encourage each other as long as it's called today, if you would be uh, in their walk to encourage them, if you'd agree to do that, would you please stand as a uh, symbol as you're joining them as they join us? 
as we travel this road together here on our journey in following Christ. So, uh, Karen and Maddie, we're just so, so blessed to have you guys here. And uh, just your sweet, you know, Maddie's very sweet spirit. And Karen, boy, you're, I was just telling Karen, Karen's knowledge of the scriptures and just her submission to the Lord. At some point, she just made the decision, I will submit to what you say. And I know it wasn't that simple for you, but it is obvious to me um, whenever I hear her talk, um, she has just made a decision that whatever the Lord calls her to, that's what she's going to do. And, and she's just a, a beautiful example of, of a woman who surrendered her life to the Lord. And we just, we're just so proud to have you guys here and amongst us and part of our church family. We're so. blessed by all of you. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, and Karen, good to have you with us. It's been a day or two, but uh, you don't look any different either. What? I don't understand that. <laughs> Thank you, David. That's incredible. You I don't. Got jewels on your I'm trying to. Th- I'm trying to think how long it's been since I've seen you, but yeah, you look the same. It's incredible. It anyway, and I have creases on my face. I don't really understand all that. And and I'm losing hair at an increasingly rapid pace. But anyway, we got to go here. Let's uh, let's pray together and uh, we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you um, that you're not through with us, Lord God, that you have good intended for us. And part of that good, God, is that you're bringing about righteousness and a restoration to all that was lost, to all the brokenness that, that happened through the fall. And you're bringing about your redemption and your salvation. And it's not like we got to wait for heaven for it. You bring that right here, right now, today. Lord, I pray that, that for all of us, that you give us the courage and the honesty to be alone with your scriptures. I pray that you give us the, uh, uh, the courage to, to be able to look to Jesus Christ. And even though it may be, sometimes it's painful to be in your words because we have things revealed about us. But, but the truth is we can go there because you've already gone there ahead of us. You've brought about your forgiveness and your mercy and your patience and your grace ahead of us. And so there's no place that you can go. There's no sin that you can reveal in us who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no place that you, that you can take us that Jesus' blood hasn't already gone ahead before. And so we can have great courage to walk in great honesty and great uh, truth and not being afraid of what we'll find when we get around the corner, but to know, Lord God, no matter what it is, that you've already bought our forgiveness on the cross through the blood and the, the shed blood of Jesus Christ and his suffering on the cross. So, Father, we thank you for this. We thank you for going there first. We thank you for bringing forgiveness and then bringing about restoration and not the other way around. We'd have never got there. So, Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. Give us a greater faith in your ability to work in us and work in, in bringing about change and transformation in us. It's in Jesus Christ's great name we pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all have a great week. I know y'all want to come by and say hello to Karen and Karen.